Are you looking for a comprehensive and convenient online health fitness training platform? Look no further than Vikido Fitness Academy. With a variety of programs designed to meet your needs, this platform offers everything from weight loss and wellness group coaching programs to an emotional intelligence course. You'll learn what to eat in order to achieve optimal health and energy levels. You'll have access to exercise training, live coaching meetups with myself, Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and other instructors, as well as support and accountability throughout your journey. Whether you prefer to work out at home or at your favorite gym, Vikido Fitness Academy makes it easy to follow along with their programs. So get started on your journey to better health and fitness. Visit vikidofitness.com forward slash VDF Academy. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is, what's new? Hot topics number 89. According to the latest research, cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of death among those 65 and older and disproportionately affects Black and Hispanic communities. We are going to discuss what is needed to help and treat this community. Dr. D. Banks will tell us the latest on post-shingle encephalitis and how we can protect ourselves from shingles. We are excited to have a guest sitting on with us today, Shabon Hicks, the Assistant Director of the McNair Scholars Program and doctoral student at Kent State University. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks. Hello, Dee, right? Hello. We got guests today, right, Dee? We do. And we have the one and only Siobhan Hicks. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and uh, Siobhan has been with us this semester. She's been helping us doing, we call it an internship, but she is working on her PhD at Kent State University. And she's doing all the do. So say a little bit about yourself today, Siobhan. Tell a little bit about yourself. Okay. So, yeah, I um, I just finished my third year um, PhD program in health education at Kent State. I have my background is mostly health. So I have uh, received my bachelor's public health 2014 and then went on to receive my master's in 2018 in public health, both specialties in environmental health science. I've been at Kent State since undergrad, and now I'm there there working full-time. I'm the assistant director for a program called the McNair Scholars Program, um, where we help undergraduate students uh, from marginalized backgrounds get prepared for graduate school. So 
That is mainly what I do. Work, school. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Was that McNair scholarship? Was that from for Ron McNair, the yes. um, astronaut who yes, it passed is. away in the shuttle? Yep. Okay. Yes, it is. I was an alum of the program. So when I was an undergrad at Ken, I participated um, in the program, conducted research, presented research at various conferences. And then mm -hmm. for grad school, I started as a, a graduate assistant and then they hired me on and I've been there since 2018 full time. Wow. So, so yeah. do, are any members of the family still involved with the scholarship? Yes, yeah, so we mainly hear from his brother, Carl McNair. He's very involved in the in the community. I believe they have a found a separate like a foundation for uh, okay. Ronald E. McNair. And he goes around and he just basically just tells his story about like their hardship growing up in South Carolina and all of the things that they endured just to continue to persist through all of that being resilient and still being able to um, study, get further their education, get a great education and just contribute to society in different ways. And so that's basically the premise of the program is just like, you know, if you are a first generation student, if you are low income, underrepresented background, through all of those things that may present a barrier as you get um, into higher education, you can still persist, you can still receive your education and go on to hopefully become faculty at a, a higher That's education. wonderful. Yeah. So that's what we mainly do. And that's what I'm that's what I'm working on. So uh, yeah, that's the plan for me. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to this show. We we have been in the trenches doing every which a which a which away thing. <laughs> Definitely. We are here today, but we'll talk more about your award. You just got to tell us about um, being uh, the 2023 recipient of the Athena Award. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, this is episode 200. And 57. And today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 89. Now, according to the latest research, cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of death among those 65 and older. And disproportionately affects um, black and Hispanic folks. The estimates are sobering from 2025 to 2060. They are estimating that the rate of ischemic heart disease in the U.S. could climb by 31 percent, heart attacks by 30 percent and strokes by 34 percent. And that is according to a team of researchers from Harvard and other institutions. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that today, more on that and what's needed to help treat um, this community uh, when we talk about black folks and Hispanic communities. We're going to talk about, we're going to find out the 411 on Dr. Roxy. Now, that's a she, and she know better. But anyway, she, look, she representing Ohio. She's a Ohio plastic surgeon, right? And she live streamed procedures on TikTok and got top tick. That's what I say, tick, tick, tock. <laughs> yeah, but she, uh, she live streamed procedures on TikTok and faced 11 lawsuits detailing severe complications from, you know, the surgeries that she 
um, did. And so we're going to find out what she was thinking about. What the hell was she thinking about, right? Mm. And what we say, what had happened is. (laughs) (laughs) But the article really gets into detail as to what happened. And so we're going to talk about this article and all the other things that we have to talk about today and much more. And as per usual, we will find out from our co-host, Dr. D. Banks, what is the latest on vaccines and all of that. And today she will really tell us and talk about the latest on post-shingles encephalitis and what that is all about, what it is and what that is all about. And of course, how it will affect us. And this will be an interesting show. We have our guest with us, the future Dr. Hicks with us today. (laughs) Siobhan Hicks will be with us during this episode. And so keep tuned on this episode. Stay tuned on It's All About Health and Fitness. Now, make sure, folks, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. It's all about health and fitness. Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. When you subscribe, you will be notified first when we post a new show. You will be able to listen, to learn, and experience our shows where we bring in other guests and talk about the things that are important things that are important for our health and our well-being and our community. And as you know, we do not just talk about our physical health. We talk about things that we can do to preserve our mental health as well. We believe in total well-being, having a holistic approach, having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure you do not miss any of our shows and go ahead and subscribe today. And last but not least, go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and a good review for this show because that's how we grow and increase our listeners. And we appreciate you. And as always, what do we say, Dee? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you for your support. Well, Dee, it has been a busy week, Dee. It was a busy week. I mean, it just flew by. I'm thinking, I was sitting here thinking last Wednesday, what was I doing? Getting ready and all this other good stuff for all the stuff that was coming up. And now here we are. Time's fleeting. Time has flown by. The next thing you know, it's almost the end of May. (laughs) It'll be winter. Then it's winter. Well, we hadn't even got the hot quite yet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's going to hit us in the face. You yeah, know, you know, pretty much, yes, <laughs> pretty much right? Right, Saban? It's going to be pretty much hit us, slap us in the face, right? Like a pancake. Yeah. Yep. That's that Ohio it. weather for you. That's Ohio weather. But this week we celebrated Athena, the Athena Award dinner where there are nominees. You know, I got to thinking I was a nominee um, for 2021 and I was sitting up yes, there enjoying. Yours. Yes. Enjoying with you. And yeah. right when I was sitting at that table, I was like, look, we got to we got to nominate our sister, Dr. D. Banks. She going to go ahead and shut it down and win this thing. And so <laughs> that's what I um, did, you know, the first of this year. And just I be guys, I want to tell you out there in the audience, out in the radio or podcast land, those of you that pass in CVs, I told D, could you pass me a CV? 
Man, she had a book up here, a mini book. <laughs> we had so many pages to go through, about 30, 40 pages. I was like, what? That's I, funny. I got to break all this down. But <laughs> I was glad to do it and so glad because I think D, she definitely deserved the win, which she did. She's a recipient. But also all the many years of dedication talking to clients and and talking to patients, talking to communities, doing all kinds of stuff, D. Tell I people mean, some of the stuff you've been doing. You One of the things they kept talking about, which I brought out, and that's the new committee that you're on that's being co-chaired by both you and a colleague, and y'all are the, what, first, uh, first African people, first persons of color yes. to chair this it's called the Leadership Development Committee in the Infectious Disease Society of America. And it's the first time it's been chaired by two persons of color, in fact, any person of color, and two women who are persons of color. Mm -hmm. And the important part about this committee is that we are responsible with our committee for setting the slate of officers for the Infectious Disease Society of America and the board of directors. So you got to get past us, mm -hmm. you know, for president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and board of directors. And, you know, it was really um, an honor to be, I'm, I will be chair of it next year. And it's really a pretty important um, committee, but, you know, over the years as, Vicky was saying, let me reiterate, it was my sister, Vicki Doe, who put the pen on paper and made this happen. You know, I sent her my, she just started talking about it. And then I sent her my CV and, you know, and I think one of the things that a lot of people talk about most recently is all the work that I did for the pandemic, you know, appearing on television and various capacities here in the community, I think was one of the big things. WFMJ gave me the opportunity to be a trusted messenger Mm -hmm. And to try to make, try to put some rationale and wisdom and all of that into what was at the time, a lot of confusing information, a lot of fallacies, facts and fallacies. So I tried to do that. But as we were talking to other people that night, and as I had been talking over the last couple of days since this happened, you know, I was really heavily involved in HIV AIDS back in the day, mm -hmm. especially since it hit the black community so hard. And again, you know, giving lectures and and talking and webinars, and we've talked about it on this show. So, you know, I guess I've done a lot because I'm old. <laughs> so, you know, to build up that resume, but I've always tried to give back. You know, I think that's one of my my things. Um, they came and interviewed me for the Business Journal Monday, and I've always tried to reach back and pull women up. Not that I've try not tried to pull other people up, but I believe that women who get in positions of power should reach back and pull those up behind them so that we'll all have a seat on the table or we'll make sure that if I'm gone, then there'll be another woman who have a seat, who has a seat at the table mm -hmm. and continue to try to break through some of these glass ceilings because we still have a lot of glass ceilings to break through. I'm sure mm -hmm. Siobhan, you've seen at Kent State, you know, we need more women chairs of departments. More true. women in those kind of positions in education. So it's not only just medicine and engineering, it's education and all of that where women have not been given their props. So yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was a great evening. So yeah, we were so proud. We jumped up. We were just so proud that I know. 
one I cried as they say big Oprah ugly tears as she said <laughs> big Oprah ugly tears <laughs> yeah I was very it was very emotional for me it really was so yeah. you know up until the last minute I never expected that I would win you know you're there there was 26 really formidable each year like in Vicky's class you know there are a lot of women that you know in this community mm-hmm. um, that are movers and shakers so you just never know and then you know they when they started to read about the winner I kind of got the hint when they started talking about this person and the field that she's in and she's yes in thousands and then it was just kind of like okay that's it, it. that's it Oh, so yeah. that that's great. And so we are so proud of Thank you. the one and only Dr. <laughs> G. Right. That's it. I will say this, that I got re-inducted back into the yes. Lynch, the Lynch Youngstown, Ohio chapter. And when they sent in the roster, I had been in 2003. Isn't that somehow time flies like that? Wow. Wow. Yes, it's been that long ago. And so, yeah, so I have come back to the Lynx chapter. And, and we're happy. Yes, and I had so many gifts that day. I was like, good oh, God. No. Have you finished opening them yet? Not all of them. <laughs> Not all of them. Oh, my God. But it was it was great to, to do the celebration. Very nice. The Youngstown Lynx do a lot of great things in the community. And the, it's a national organization as well. And so glad to be back a part of that. And we had a new link that came in with me, Ashley Vidal. And so we just were busy. This was just a whole long weekend, long a whole weekend. week of just busy things going on. Like I said, mm-hmm. you know, Monday from Thursday on, you know, just stuff, doing stuff and being places and culminating Sunday with the induction of, with your induction and Ashley of, of the links. So it was good. It was all good. It was all good. It was all good. So how was your week? That was your week, right? That was my week. I have nothing else to say. (laughs) All right. Nothing else to say. Well, Siobhan, we going to you now. What was your week like? You could just tell us a little something, something, right? Yeah, I mean, my week is absolutely been busy as well, mainly with the program. Because with McNair, the June and July, we usually do a summer research institute with our students. So those are the busiest um, times for us. And we are preparing to take the students to a research conference uh, at the end of June um, to Al- in Atlanta. So okay. I spent all last week and technically this week uh, just going back and forth with the hotel folks. Yeah. And the legal department trying to get the agreements and everybody booked in the hotels and flight secured. So that has been my week. It is yeah. very tedious work, but I enjoy it. But it's just, that's been my week. It's just travel planning. And I don't see how people do it. But I've, I've been I've been persistent. <laughs> That's it. That's all you can do, right? It is what it is, right? Yeah, that is true. It is what it is. <laughs> all right. Well, what is going on this week, D? Everything, Vicky Doe. Everything. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, we're talking about Older American Month. That's the what we're celebrating in the month of May. Aging Unbound, and that is their focus. 
And so we'll uh, talk a little bit about the the history of Older American uh, Month. And it was established in 1963. Only 17 million living Americans had reached their 65th birthday then. Isn't that something? Mm. About a third of older Americans lived in poverty and there were few programs to meet their needs. Interest in older Americans and their concerns was growing. A meeting in April 1963 between President John F. Kennedy and members of the National Council of Senior Citizens led to designating May as Senior Citizens Month, the prelude to Older Americans Month. Now, historically, Older Americans Month has been a time to acknowledge the contributions of past and current older adults to our country, in particular those who defended our country. Now, every president since Kennedy has issued a former proclamation during or before the month of May, asking that the entire nation pay tribute in some way to older persons in their communities. Older Americans Month is celebrated across the country through ceremonies, events, fairs, and other such activities. And they have all kinds of stuff for you to look at if you want to go on this site and it'll tell you all the things that are happening to celebrate, which is, I think is, is uh, we need to really think about that because other cultures do that. If you do with the Asian culture, all that African culture, they celebrate their older folks in their community. So Mm -hmm. I think it's great that we're trying to focus on that because sometimes these young folks, Lord have mercy. They want to throw us down the back steps. Uh, Hey, that's it, right? And so it's great to celebrate this And as we see, like my mom said, you know, my mom will be 80 this year in August. And she, you know, even though she retired, she still helps us because she is a registered licensed um, dietitian. She keeps up on all her stuff. She said that keeps her mind fresh. And then she goes and has, she said her, her mental health day is going to Macy's and working and stuff. And every time I go visit her, they'll have her, which I think is very interesting. They'll have her at the computer, you know, at the checkout, doing the clothes and doing all the exchange of stuff and return. And I was like, hmm, go ahead. Sister, <laughs> sister girl still yeah, got it. That's great. Still got it. And so yes. it's a lot of leaders, you know, Dr. Fauci, how old, how old was he doing he all was his 81? Yeah. Yeah. And then let's not forget the Supreme court. Okay. Where many of them are, were older than in their eighties. Okay. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, and mm-hmm. many of them didn't mm-hmm. retire until they were well into their eighties. Yes. So we should remember and embrace our older folks, you know, but yeah, go to, www.alc.gov forward slash OAM to find out all the things that they are doing to celebrate older folks. And you can do that with your family, with your family. Well, we'll move on next, D. This is so great. You know, that was big controversy on why do they now, you know, it was some silly ass men talking that <laughs> what they say. They were talking about, well, why do we have Martha Stewart on, on the Sports Illustrated? What the hell's wrong with people? She was looking was better she than looked, some of them other ones. She looked fabulous. Yeah, she's 81. She mm-hmm. yeah. 
She looked fabulous. She's 81. She was looking good, and she was featured. They did have a sister girl that's a in, on the basketball team. I can't remember her name. It was what Angie. What was Angel Reese. I think so. Yes. Yeah. What What's her first name? Angel. Angel. I think she uh she plays college basketball at LSU. Yes. Oh. That's mm-hmm. who they had. So, but it was like, look, Martha Stewart was 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 taking care of business. She was keeping and holding up on her own. She really was. She, she looked were. great. I heard her talking a little bit about it on one of the shows, The View, or one of them, about how she didn't starve herself, but she just made up her mind to eat healthy, exercise, and knowing that she was going to do this photo shoot, just get herself really mentally prepared and physically. Mm-hmm. prepared health wise as well and i think that uh what is she 81 81 oh my goodness 81 you look great and so it, it talks about her being a businesswoman. they did the thing well, i think it was may 15th and yeah she was the oldest cover model in the publication's history and see people don't realize um uh, she used to model when she was younger didn't she right yeah if I, I did can. not know that. Yeah, she was a model. She was very, I mean, you know, she's still attractive. She was very attractive back in the day. And a lot of people don't remember her, the youngins, as we say. She began writing cookbooks after her success as a chef. You know, she used to she used to come on different shows and, you know, cook and so forth. And then since she launched those first cookbooks, she's now the best-selling author to 99 books over the course of her career. And then she had the magazine Martha Stewart Living that launched in 1990 and then she has her own line of 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 stuff products and like bed bath and beyond Mm -hmm. you know she has the martha stewart collection there and she made a name for herself on television um she founded martha stewart omnimedia which encompasses her magazine and television shows along with other media products she did a really cute show with snoop dogg remember that They became friends and throughout her media outlet, she reaches about a hundred million fans per month. She moderates, currently hosts three programs on Roku, Martha, Martha Gardens, Martha Cooks and Martha Holidays. And she also moderates the Martha Stewart podcast where she interviews business leaders along with friends in their respective fields. And then she opened her first restaurant in August 22, the Bedford, located in in the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. And then SI Swim Sports Illustrated deemed her the OG Mm -hmm. of influences. Mm -hmm. People still look to Stewart for home advice. She lists various home, kitchen, dining, fashion, and lifestyle products on her website, Martha.com, along with an Amazon storefront. She's a proud mother and grandmother. And she said, never in her life has she let her circumstances dictate her outcome. Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Editor-in-Chief MJ Day says of Stewart, she changed with the times, always one step ahead. It seems to build a wide-reaching business empire, which is what she has. Big time, big time. And, And you would try to kind of follow her when you would think about the media stuff. You would yeah. try to follow her or Oprah yeah. on how yeah. they would do things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, those men need to shut up. <laughs> she 81. She you represents back in the box. They need to go back in the box, back in the box, you know? Hey, because because some folks that are younger, way younger than her doesn't even look Absolutely. like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Absolutely. So that's that.
Well, D, what's the latest? What's the latest for us? Yeah, well, I can only say with COVID, things are at a mild calm. You know, the bivalent vaccine is still out there for people over the age of 65, and they're still going to be giving it out. But one of the most recent things, and we'll talk about that maybe on another show when it becomes official, the FDA has given approval for a vaccine for RSV for children. Mm. And that'll be major because, as you all will remember, mm-hmm. last winter, we had a huge on a big surge of RSV in our children. One of the reasons they said was because kids were quarantined and you know they weren't exposed to viruses and so forth by being quarantined and then now getting back into the community where they were, you know, there was an onslaught of, you know, being exposed to everybody. A lot of these kids came down with RSV. So, they FDA has given approval for it. So we'll talk more about it when it becomes official and when they roll it out officially. So yeah. All right. So but, what's the latest um, yeah. that you're doing today for Yeah. Us? So today, I, the reason this spurned my interest was because on social media, there was a lot of, uh, you know, yeah, 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 about Diane Feinstein's shingles. So they said she was out, I guess, six months with mm. shingles. And there were a lot of naysayers who said, well, you know, I've never known anybody who's had shingles that lasted that long, you know. And then I guess I did think in the back of my mind, well, didn't she have the the shingles vaccine, which is, uh, uh, you know, for women or for everybody over the age of 50. So there was just a lot of controversy about why she was out so long and it kind of spurned my interest. And then this past weekend, New York Times came out with an article that it was really worse than, it wasn't just a simple shingle and that what she may have had, because I don't think anybody is, she's not going on television and broadcasting this, but what from what we can glean, she had post-shingles encephalitis. So she mm-hmm. had shingles, which is very kind of, it's concerning because, you know, the shingles, shingles vaccine is very effective. So Diane Feinstein developed this rare and potentially debilitating complication after shingles infection. Diane Feinstein, a Democratic senator from California, has returned. You know, there was a big call in the Senate, you know, to replace her and this and that. Again, our male colleagues. I know. Anyway, I know. Diane Feinstein, a Democratic senator from California, has returned to the Capitol after spending more than two months, okay, it was two months, recovering from shingles. The disease, often characterized by a painful rash, is triggered by the same virus that causes chicken pox, which stays in people's bodies for life and years later can become reactivated. For Ms. Feinstein, 89, the virus, there's another super ager, older person who's in the Senate. The virus also brought on a previous unreported case of encephalitis, a rare but potentially debilitating complication in which the brain swells. The condition is often caused by an infection or an immune response. So what are the symptoms? Post-shingles encephalitis can cause headache, fever, sensitivity to light, vomiting, confusion, a stiff neck, and even seizures. It can also leave some patients with more lasting problems. Those include memory or language trouble, sleep disorders, mood disorders, walking difficulty, and other cognitive problems. Older patients tend to have the most trouble recovering, which is why they want people to get vaccinated. There are milder and more serious cases. A French study from last year looking at several dozen critically ill patients with the condition found that about one-fifth of them were significantly disabled a year after being hospitalized, and one-third 
had died. A separate study in Denmark from 2020 found that roughly half of post-shingles encephalitis patients admitted to hospitals were at least moderately disabled three months after being discharged. How common is this? Dr. Adrian Miros, a physician and immunologist based at the Sorbonne University in Paris, who led the French study last year, estimated that fewer than 1% of shingles patients go on to develop encephalitis. But precise rates, he said, were difficult to pin down. Milder cases often go unreported, making it hard to know the real number of patients with shingles or post-shingles encephalitis. Brain swelling has historically been thought to affect most to affect mostly those shingles patients with immune deficiencies. But recent studies have found that many patients are simply older and struggling with a routine weakening of their immune system. For that reason, the condition may be increasingly common as the population ages, experts say. What is the outlook for patients? It's not exactly clear why some shingles patients who develop encephalitis fare better or worse with the condition. Older age appears to put people at greater risk for more serious problems. But published case studies have described even younger patients who show signs of retrieving their cognitive functions only to deteriorate again. You may have some symptoms that last after the encephalitis, Dr. Moreau said of patients. It's not sure you will be able to recover completely. That's true at 89, it's also true at 30 or 20. Ms. Feinstein may have been at higher risk for developing encephalitis because her shingles had spread to her face and neck, which is known to put patients at risk for brain inflammation. Mm. So how else can shingles affect people's cognition? Inflammation alone can damage cells in the brain, but shingles can also contribute to cognitive decline in other ways, including by damaging blood vessels of the brain, said Dr. Sharon Courhan, a physician and epidemiologist at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School, who's studying the link between shingles and changes in cognition. Shingles patients also face a significantly higher long-term risk of having a stroke, a condition that itself can lead to cognitive decline, according to a study by Dr. Curehan published last year. Ms. Feinstein had received a shingles vaccine. Now, mm. the question becomes, did she get the old vaccine mm -hmm. or did she get the newer vaccine, Shingrex? The older vaccine was a live virus vaccine, which I did not take because I, I didn't wasn't comfortable taking a live virus vaccine being older. But I did take the Shingrex, which was not a live virus vaccine. So I don't know which one she had. But Ms. Feinstein had received the vaccine, which in most people provides strong protection against the virus and complications that can follow. Federal health officials recommend the vaccine for people 50 and older and younger adults with weakened immune system. And so there you have it. So they have various pictures of her. She looked really debilitated. Oh my goodness. And frail and still had the scars on her face from the shingles facial shingles that she had. My mother had that. And you have to be really careful because the other thing is that can go into your eye and cause blindness. So you really, really have to be aggressive. You have to have infectious diseases on the case and you really need to have ophthalmology. So she really looks frail in these pictures, but she felt her duty was to come back because they needed her in the Senate, you know, where things are all, mm. you know, one vote can count. 
Mm-hmm. She felt compelled to have to come back. So, you know, kudos to her for having the courage to do that rather than telling them, you need to go. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that was the same thing that Justin Bieber was suffering from, too. Yes, ah. I heard that. Is he better? You can, He's kind of gone out of sight. Is he? The last, because I don't keep up with him, yeah. but I think the last that I heard was that it was progressively getting better. And I think uh-huh. he, um, That's right. I heard it, that. Yeah, and I think he started going through different treatment, but I, treatment mm-hmm. options. But I, I don't think they disclosed at the time if he was vaccinated. Yeah, or... yeah. Well, he wouldn't be eligible. No, because he, he's not fifty. Because he's enough. not fifty. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's, that's terrible. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Well, let's try not to get shingles, right? I know. If we're and then if we're we're young, let's just be hoping. And then if everybody over the age of fifty, people play Russian roulette, and I kind of felt like I was playing Russian roulette because honestly, full disclosure, I didn't run out there and dash out there to get a, another vaccine. But you know, when you start seeing it more in patients in the hospital and how debilitating it can be, and it's an ugly, nasty looking rash. Mm-hmm. Eek, it's horrible looking. And I said, you know, what do I have to lose here? So I ran right over to Rite Aid and got jabbed. And so can you only get shingles or even this encephalitis if you never had like the chicken pox? Because I've never had the chicken pox. Yeah. So it's really you, it's really those people who have had chicken pox. Okay. Now, what you should do also, Siobhan, because you might have had a subclinical case. You might want to whenever you get a chance, which is I don't know when. You might want to go to your doctor and get varicella titers to see if you have been exposed to varicella, because if you ever go and work in the workforce Mm -hmm. and you get exposed to shingles or chicken pox, you'll have to go off work for a couple of weeks. Oh, you want to know whether you have been exposed or not and whether you have, even though you might not have had visible chicken Mm -hmm. pox, you might have been exposed to the point where you have varicella so what you want your doctor to order is varicella antibodies varicella varicella antibodies yes all right then well hey we learned a lot here on it's all about (laughs) health and fitness on what not to get yeah absolutely that's it well thank you d you're welcome hi everyone this is dr vicky haywood doe i just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online 
programs, and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 89. We're going to start off, we're going to switch up a little bit. And Siobhan, do you want to start off with the four phases help COVID patients ease back into exercise? Yes, I can. All right. Phase four movement should challenge coordination, strength, and balance. And activities should include or will include activities such as running, but also with varied directions such as shuffling sideways. This phase could also include bodyweight exercises or circuit training, but exercises should not feel hard. In any of the phases, the right the authors write, they should monitor for any inability to feel recovered at one hour after exercise and on the day after and looking for abnormal breathlessness, abnormal heart rate, excessive fatigue, and markers of mental mental ill health. Psychiatric complications, such as psychosis, have been identified as a potential feature of COVID-19 and include post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression. The authors note, if any of these signs occur, the person should return to an earlier phase and seek medical advice. After completing the four phases, patients may be ready to return at least to their pre-COVID-19 level of activity, the authors write. However, the authors caution full recovery may take longer than patients expect. The article includes perspective from a patient who was able to walk and swim for at least 90 minutes before getting COVID-19 in April. The patient, which is a healthcare assistant, said that COVID-19 was debilitating for me. The patient said stretching helped the most. And so from the patient, they stated, this helped to expand my chest and lungs. So the more intense exercises got easier. It helped to be able to do those stretches prior to a more intense exercise, such as walking, as my lungs felt they could hold more air. The breathing techniques were particularly helpful in something I do regularly. I found walking to also be most beneficial as it was an exercise I could control. I could walk at a speed and for a distance that was manageable for me and gradually increase this while using a Fitbit to check my heart rate and recovery time. Ten weeks since the first symptoms, the patient reported being up to 70% of pre-COVID-19 fitness. Salmon told Medscape Medical News the exercise plans in the paper were meant to help guide physicians and to interpret in the context of the patient in front of them rather than for general use, particularly given the wide spectrum of illness and recovery trajectory following COVID-19 infection. So respect the disease. Sam Satera, if I'm saying that correctly, who is a cardiology fellow at Mount Sinai in New York City, told Medscape Medical News the paper's basic message is a good one. Respect the disease. He agrees with the approach to wait a full week after the last symptoms and to start getting back to exercise very slowly after COVID-19. He stated that the disease comes with inflammation and it will take time to recover. Most of the cardiac risk data so far has been based on athletes and on hospitalized patients. So there's little information on cardiac risk for those who are returning to or starting exercise after mild or moderate COVID-19. Tara, who is affiliated with the the post-COVID-19 cardiac clinic at Mount Sinai, said if patients had severe COVID-19 and if they had positive cardiac imaging, Activity should be resumed under a post-COVID center cardiologist. If patients are not able to return to their baseline exercise activity or have chest pain, they should get evaluated by a physician. 
Severe chest pain, heart racing, or palpitations need to be escalated to a cardiologist or post-COVID clinic, he stated. Satira said that although too much exercise too soon after COVID-19 could be harmful, too much time without exercise could be harmful as well. Obese people did worse with COVID. A report that was released from the World Obesity Federation found that rates of dying from COVID-19 were 10 times higher in countries where most than half the population was overweight. He stated that this could be an opportunity in and, in and of itself to resume activity and start exercising. The Sierra said wearable devices and trackers, which shouldn't substitute for medical visits can help people track progress and intensity levels. The trends over the weeks will be more for, more important than individual points in the time, he stated. The moral of the story is, yes, listen, when you get back into exercise, but that's for anything. That's for anything. Yeah. Even, even if you've been in a hospital for certain things, even just from a mild, you know how sometimes you have the flu and, and mild situations like that, you ease in to exercise. You ease into exercise. You don't go gung-ho after you've been sick. Because first of all, you got to give your, your body time to recoup and recover. And then COVID is, is, so, is so out there. That, that's what made COVID so interesting because it can affect anything, you know. You, it, it really can. It's just a, a what was it, like a crapshoot. You don't know. And it affects everybody differently, right? Right. So, exactly. yeah. So ease into exercise is the best policy. And then when they talk about here, they say light intensity for the first two weeks. Then, yeah, then you roll into coordination and strength. Okay. Yeah. And then you just easing on in. And then, of course, if you have any problems, you always go to your physician. Respect right. the disease. What do you say, D, on that? Yeah. Um, you know, this post-COVID thing became, it affected so many different body parts, organs, and so forth. And I think you know, one of the things that became debilitating for a lot of people other than just the fatigue was that, you know, there were instances of people having blood clots because mm -hmm. for unknown reasons, people developed, you know, had a, had a coagulation problem. Mm -hmm. And so certainly before you dash out there to start doing exercise, you need to make sure that you're cleared from your you know, your pulmonary doctor, your renal doctor, your infectious disease doctor, because all these doctors were involved in the mm -hmm. care of patients who were in the hospital with COVID, mm -hmm. you know, so especially for those people who were more severely affected. And, you know, a lot of people were deconditioned in bed. And I had a patient who share, share with you a patient who uh, ended up having a double lung transplant because he had COVID, had double lung transplant. But because he was sedated for such a long time, mm. he lost his muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And he still, this happened, he got this in 2020 before the vaccines. It's 2023. And he still cannot walk. Wow! And is having a lot of trouble, you know, just because your 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 muscles just deteriorated. So the lungs were great. As COVID is over, but he had a lot of deconditioning, and a lot of patients found that they had a lot of deconditioning after COVID. So all that's going to have to, you know, slowly with the exercise. Hopefully, that will all, you know, be reversed. Can mm -hmm. be reversed. Mm -hmm. That's it. And it's just interesting to see all the research that's coming out yeah. on the true effects of right. COVID, even those people that didn't get into the hospital. You know, some people oh, go, yeah. oh, I had COVID. Remember, we were talking about what did one of our friends called she and I, we were 
COVID virgins or COVID something like virgins. Yeah. Cause we never got COVID. Yeah. We never got it. Yeah. But I didn't tell her that's cause I Lysoled everything up. <laughs> uh-huh. Vicky, you had, I think you needed to buy stock in Lysol because you Lysol the heck out of everything. Yes, I did. did. Yes, I did. That coronavirus was not coming up into your house. Oh, hell to the no. <laughs> that's it. But yeah. So yes, we, if you have COVID, you definitely got to ease back into, and there's, there's four phases of it. And definitely at the end of the day, consult with your physician if you have issues and get back to being healthy. D, go ahead with the cardiovascular disease is poised to kill more older people. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this article because I know some of the principles that are mentioned in this article. A colleague in... Um, cardiology and so forth. So this article, cardiovascular disease is poised to kill more people. The number one cause of death among those 65 and older disproportionately affects black and Hispanic communities. Cardiovascular disease, the number one cause of death among people 65 and older is poised to become even more common in the year, years ahead disproportionately affecting black and Hispanic communities and exacting an enormous toll on the health and quality of life of older Americans. The estimates are sobering. From 2025 to 2060, the rate of ischemic heart disease, a condition caused by blocked arteries and also known as coronary artery disease in the United States could climb by 31%, heart failure by 33%, heart attacks by 30%, and strokes by 34%, according to a team of researchers from Harvard and other institutions. The greatest increase would be would come between 2025 and 2030, they predicted. The dramatic expansion of the United States aging population, cardiovascular disease is far more common in older adults than in younger people, and rising numbers of people with conditions that put them at risk of heart disease and stroke, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity foremost among them, are expected to contribute to this alarming scenario. And because the risk factors are more common among black and Hispanic populations, cardiovascular illness and death will become even more common for these groups, the researchers predicted. Disparities in the burden of cardiovascular disease are only going to be exacerbated unless targeted efforts are made to strengthen health education, expand prevention, and improve access to effective therapies, according to an accompanying editorial written by physicians from Stony Brook, Mm. Stony Brook University in New York, and Baylor Mm -hmm. in Texas. Whatever focus we've had before on managing cardiovascular disease risk in Black and Hispanic Americans, we need to redouble our efforts, said Dr. Clyde Yancey. This is a person that I'm familiar with from the National Medical Association. He's chief of cardiology and vice dean for diversity and inclusion at Northwestern's University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago. He was not involved with the research. Of course, medical advances, public health policies, and other developments could alter the outlook for cardiovascular disease over the next several de- decades. More than 80% of cardiovascular deaths among occur among adults 65 or older for about a dozen years the total number of cardiovascular deaths in this age group has steadily ticked upward as the ranks of older adults have expanded and previous programs in curving fatalities from heart disease and strokes has been undermined by americans expanding waistlines poor diets 
and physical inactivity. Among people 65 and older, cardiovascular diseases, cardiovascular deaths plunged 22% between 1999 and 2010, according to data from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, a testament to new medical and surgical therapies and treatments and a sharp decline in smoking among other public health initiatives. Then between 2011 and 2019, deaths climbed 13%. In early May, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported that the age-adjusted heart disease death rate climbed for the third year in a row. The pandemic has also added to the death toll with coronavirus infections causing serious complications, just as I mentioned, mm-hmm. with blood clots mm-hmm. and millions of se- seniors avoiding medical care. That's what we're seeing now, the backlash in the hospitals mm. because they were afraid of going to the hospital because of fear of being infected. Most affected have been low-income individuals and older non-Hispanic Black and Hispanic people who have died of the virus at disproportionately higher rates than non-Hispanic white people. The pandemic laid bare ongoing health inequities, and that has fueled a new wave of research into disparities across various medical conditions and their causes, said Nakila Cook, a cardiologist and executive director of the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, an independent organization authorized by Congress. One of the most detailed examinations yet published in JAMA Cardiology in March examined mortality rates in Hispanic, non-Hispanic Black, and non-Hispanic white populations from 1990 to 2019. That was a pretty good spread Mm -hmm. in all 50 states in D.C. It showed that Black men remain at the highest risk of dying from cardiovascular disease, especially in southern states along the Mississippi River and in the northern Midwest. The age-adjusted mortality rate for cardiovascular disease for Black men in 2019 was 245 per 100,000 compared with 191 per 100,000 for white men and 135 per 100,000 for Hispanic men. Results for women within each demographic were older. So black men really, as we have, as Reverend Macklin showed and, you know, has continued to promote the health and wellness of black men, talking about heart disease and stroke, cardiovascular disease and all of that. Mm -hmm. Progress stemming Progress stemming deaths from cardiovascular disease in black men showed considerably between, slowed, I'm sorry, slowed considerably between 2010 and 2019. Across the country, cardiovascular deaths for that group dropped 13%, far less than the 28% decline from 2000 to 2010, and 19% decline from 1990 to 2000. In the regions where black men were most at risk, the picture was even worse. In Mississippi, for instance, deaths of black men fell only 1% from Mm. 2010 to 2019, while in Michigan, they dropped 4%. In DC, they actually rose by nearly Uh. 5%. Mm. While individual lifestyles are particular are partly responsible for the unequal burden of cardiovascular disease. The A American Heart Association's 2017 scientific statement on the cardiovascular health of African-Americans notes that perceived racial discriminations and related stress are associated with hypertension, obesity, persistent inflammation, and other clinical processes that raise the risk of cardiovascular disease. Although Black people are deeply affected, so are other racial and ethnic minorities who experience adversity in their day-to-day lives, several experts noted. 
But recent studies of cardiovascular deaths don't feature some of these groups, including Asian Americans and Native Americans. Mm -hmm. What are the implications for the future? We may need different solutions in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. No question. Because mm-hmm. somebody growing up or having, you know, growing up in the Mississippi Delta yes. area or that part, as opposed to somebody growing up in Minnesota, their totally different. experiences are going to be completely different. Yeah, totally different. Somebody growing, growing up in, you know, Alabama mm-hmm. or someplace uh, in this deep South, deeper mm-hmm. South, compared to somebody in uh, Berkeley, California, they're going to be different. It's going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. So what? Uh, so again, we may need different solutions in different parts of the country, said Alan Bertoni, an internist and a professor of epidemiology and prevention at yay, Wake Forest Plus, University yeah. School of Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh-huh. noting significant variations in cardiovascular health outcomes by geographic location. And this was written by Gregory Roth, a co-author of the JAMA Cardiology paper and associate professor of cardiology at University of Washington School of Medicine, called for a renewed effort Effort. Mm -hmm. to educate people in at-risk communities about modifiable risk factors, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity, diabetes, smoking, inadequate physical activity, unhealthy diet, and insufficient sleep. The American Heart Association has suggestions on its website for promoting cardiovascular health in each of these areas. Mm-hmm. Michelle Albert, a cardiologist and president of the American Heart Association said, more attention needs to be paid in medical education to social determinants of health. Where do we hear that a lot when we talked about COVID? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, including mm-hmm. income, education, housing, neighborhood environments and community characteristics. So the healthcare workforce is better prepared to address unmet health needs in vulnerable populations. Natalie Bello, a cardiologist and director of the hypertension research at the Smith Heart Institute at Cedar Sinai, at Cedar Sinai Medical Center in LA, said, We really need to be going into vulnerable communities and reaching people where they're at to increase their knowledge of risk factors and how to reduce them. This could mean deploying community health workers more broadly or expanding innovative programs like the ones that bring pharmacists into black owned barbershops to educate black men about high blood pressure. Now more than ever, we have the medical therapies and technologies in place to treat cardiovascular conditions, said Rishi Wadera, a cardiologist and section head of health policy and research equity at the Smith Center for Outcomes Research in Cardiology at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. What's needed he said, are more vigorous efforts to ensure that all older patients, including those from disadvantaged communities, are connected with primary care physicians and receive appropriate screening and treatment for cardiovascular risk and high quality evidence-based care in the event of heart failure and a heart attack or stroke. Now, I have to make a couple of comments here. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there are those who would say, and I've been on some panels, maybe not talking about this particularly, but Mm -hmm. this common theme Mm -hmm. that I must say, however, Mm -hmm. that we are non-compliant. We we can be very non-compliant. And so somebody on a panel with me will scream at me and say, well, you're just blaming the victims. You're blaming the victims. Uh No, I'm not blaming the victims. 
I'm talking about something that I am involved with on a daily basis, not your husband too, your honey sweet too, Mm -hmm. not that we're not talking about something that we heard, something that somebody told us. (laughs) We're talking about patients that we see in our offices and in our our offices and in the hospital who have been completely non-compliant despite all the education in the world that we have given them. And those of us who are black physicians certainly, you know, lean into education. We are non-compliant yes, many times. Yes. And that is a problem. Yes. And so when all this research comes out and all of this, what factors in and nobody wants to talk about it because it's blaming the victim, blaming the victim. Mm-hmm. How do you change the culture of non-compliance? How do you change? Well, you have diabetes mm. and now you need to go and change your lifestyle. What we see in the hospital mm-hmm. is that And because it's all about patient satisfaction, the diabetic patient whose blood sugar is 282, when they have to, when they order their food, you see all these carbohydrates and all these other foods that they pick. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm preaching here, but I got to start preaching because it's a big pet peeve of mine Uh that we continue to talk about healthcare disparities. Yes, we are at higher risk, black men and also, but we can all do better. Yes, we can. In all of these areas, we always I will stop say preaching that. because this is one of my huge yes. pet peeves. But we always say that, you know, every time I go out and be out there and talk and this and that, I always say 80% of all these diseases, chronic diseases are, can be changed just even with two simple lifestyle changes, what you eat and how you move. But Correct. the key is most people will not do that and one lady just told me she came up and said oh yes I this and that and what should I do I said well she said well I drink I drink wine and stuff every night before I go to bed I said well do you do one glass or the whole bottle the bottle (laughs) (laughs) the bottle (laughs) you drink red wine but is it one glass or is it the whole bottle she looked at me look she looked at me like I right. said, well, look, even if you just stop and just do one glass of wine a week, you see a difference in right. your 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 levels as far as right. for, for its weight. And then for I think she was diabetic as well. So but she said she can't do that. So I said, well, well I mean, and, and that's what you get too, Vicky and um, Siobhan, is that you get the pushback from the patients when you tell them, well, this is what you need to do. And then you hear a whole litany of, well, why I can't do this? Well, I'm working and I'm this and I'm that, you know, and I don't have time to do this and stuff is expensive and so forth. But if you listen to Dr. Vicki Doe on any of her seminars and webinars and so forth, there should not be any reason why you can't, you, it's preparation. So then you make you make your meals ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You pack your lunch. Mm-hmm. You don't come home and graze. You have healthy snacks around so that you don't. So there are all kinds of things that you can do to change things. But people just don't do it. We see it all the time in people who come back with diabetic foot infections. Mm-hmm. We tell them to go home, you know, what, make sure your sh- blood sugars are under control. Your hemoglobin A1C is good. Take your insulin, you know, check your feet at night before you go to bed. And it, they just don't do it. You know, I'm sure had to get it. frank with me. And I think that's what sometimes it's just like you have some doctors who don't want to get like frank and direct. Cause I like, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure at 28 and 
I was like, oh, you know, well, I'll just try to, because it's like, you know, I'm a health background, I'm public health. I know all about the social determinants of health and what I need to be doing and all of this stuff. And I was just like really just dragging my feet and not being consistent with taking my medication. But every time when I would go in for my checkups and he's like, your blood pressure is still high. Are you taking your medication? And like, I'm like, oh, I keep forgetting I'll do it. And, and one of my appointments, he was like, do you want to die early? And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, do you yeah. want to die early? Yeah. I was like, no. He was like, well, you need to prioritize. He was like, you drink coffee every morning, put your, put your pills next to your uh, coffee, put it in your purse. He's like, you got to you know, you got to do these things. And literally it took that. And I was like, you know, like when he framed it that way, I was like, okay, I hear you. I, I read. <laughs> so sometimes it takes that, that tough love. That yeah. tough love. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that, yes, yes, we know it's going to kill more people, but there's things that we can do. And if we always remember, most of the things can be controlled or even prevented just through our lifestyle our lifestyle changes. We just got to get in that mindset and be compliant, folks. Stop it. Be compliant. Yeah. Right? We're going to close up just briefly. I'm going to go over this. I'm not going to go too long. I'm going to just go what had happened was. <laughs> I do want to hear about this. And this <laughs> is, this last one is about a plastic surgeon who live stream procedures on TikTok and may lose license, Dr. Rossi. Dr. Rossi faced 11 lawsuits detailing severe complications. And guess what? She's at Ohio. You know, we got to do stuff in Ohio. Mm -hmm. We be on the map from Ohio. Mm -hmm. But anyway, mm -hmm. an Ohio plastic surgeon who live streamed procedures on TikTok and who at least 11 patients say caused severe complications from treatment at her clinic and rehab center is fighting to keep her medical license in hearings this week. Her name is Catherine R. Grawl, she's an MD, also known as Dr. Roxy on um, TikTok, had her license suspended. It was suspended in November 2022 following concerns about her social media activity and inappropriate care that occurred both during procedures posted to social media. So while she was even doing the thing she so that everybody can see she messing up. Isn't that crazy? crazy? And in routine practice. And according to a representative for the State Medical Board of Ohio, the summary suspension was based on clear and convincing evidence that continued practice by the licensee poses a danger of immediate and serious harm to the public. Now, following the conclusion of the hearings this week, the board will review the evidence and vote on how to discipline Graz's, um license, which could include revoking it, refusing to renew it, limiting it, or placing Graz on probation. The full board is expected to make this final decision this summer. The representative wrote in an email to uh, MedPage today. Court documents from 11, these are 11 lawsuits by patients, post-operative, so post-op infections. Can you believe that? Oh, wow. And injuries. Oh, wow. So severe that they resulted in a look, a double mastectomy, a skin grafting, oh, no. necrosis. What what is it? Necrosis? Is that when uh -huh. you when your your skin started um rotting off, really? Right. Pretty much. Isn't that crazy? Because it dies. Oh, All the stuff died, right? Mm -hmm. And in one case, repairs to a small intestine that was punctured. <gasps> 
<gasps> six times. <gasps> That's deadly. Oh my goodness. There are multiple accounts of infections not spotted and allowed to spread for days or even weeks. In one case detailed by the medical board, Graw performed abdominoplasties. They did a two Brazilian butt lift. Those are like, those are tummy tucks. Okay, tummy tucks. I say that perform and tummy tucks, two Brazilian butt lifts, the BBLs. We always hear about that. Right. Uh, liposuction. And I haven't heard of this. This is a Renuvian J plasma procedures on a patient. Do you know about plasma procedures? J I do not. J okay. On a patient on two separate occasions. She live streamed the second liposuction procedure on social media, looking at the camera and answering questions. For her viewers, according to the medical board documents, despite liposuction being a blind surgery that requires awareness of the tip of the cannula to avoid injury, your attention to the camera meant at those moments you were not looking at the hmm. patients or palpitating the, the, the location of the tip of the hmm. cannula. And so mm -hmm. the patient was later hospitalized. Guess mm -hmm. what? With free air in her abdomen. That's a perforation. Mm -hmm. And hepatic encephalopathy. So it's mm -hmm. hepatic encephalopathy. Hepatic encephalopathy, yep. And that yep. that's what does that mean? Well, liver toxins is some some problem with the liver, whether it's due to drugs or some toxin or something that the liver liver has gone out of function. And it takes a lot because the liver performs 500 different functions. And, you know, when your liver function enzymes are elevated and all of that, that's what leads it lends itself to hepatic encephalopathy and then and then because of the toxins your it goes to your brain and then you have like the encephalopathy of brain problems due to liver to your liver issues so yeah so you you said that perforated her her small bowel yeah, was later yeah. found Lord. Yeah, so she had a lot of stuff going across long hospital stay. But all mm -hmm. that to say is they are trying, they're doing lawsuits. Uh, yeah. Duh. Wow. That is so crazy. Isn't that That's crazy? Deep. That's crazy. So they, they're going on and on mm -hmm. that in 2021, she had a breast augmentation and a breast lift by um, Grawl and all that. It caused an infection severe. Told the patient's next doctor that the implants had been already removed when they weren't. Yeah. So she was just, she's just bad. So yes, we want you guys to go ahead and look at that article. It's called, let's see, plastic surgeon who live stream procedures on TikTok may lose license. And we can see based on reading this that, yeah, she might very well. Issues. Yeah. There's a lot of issues. There's here. some issues, as we some say. Is issues. <laughs> some issues, yes. But we're, we feel very sorry for the patients. Can you imagine going I know, in there? Oh, and that's the problem. Especially if you don't, when you go to see in the healthcare system today, if you don't have an advocate, you're just at the mercy of whatever. Yes. And so. That's what happened. Um, hopefully, we will. All of this will come down in the summer. Yes, we shall see. But that is what had happened was okay. Yes, yes. And the the moral of that story is yes, you're right. You gotta really you gotta vet out your people. Anybody that's doing stuff like that on on social media, you kind of gotta go uh anyway because because isn't that your privacy exactly HIPAA and all of that right that's what i thought oh well anything to say on that siobhan what do you think you know they 
kind of with the a lot of people talk about with just the dangers of social media and just specifically with TikTok and it's like because you know it's like yeah we want certain things to you know there there are a lot of people who use social media and TikTok in particular for good and for educational purposes and there are others who just want the attention and the content without caring about the people who they are you know I guess uh, serving so well said that's it's it. very. It's very sad that, you know, that you would have someone that you would trust, you know, with the care <laughs> with your yeah. life and they are on TikTok just doing just crazy all of the things that is so that was bizarre when I was reading that article. I'm like, there's no way that there is a doctor who went on social media to all of their followers to to show several patients in their right. surgery. Unreal. That's crazy. And then you mess it up on top of that. You by going things... back and doing it after they said to stop. Exactly. That is insanity. Exactly. <laughs> Making exactly. stuff, what the, what they say, wassa and wassa. Exactly. <laughs> all you can say. That's all you can say. Well, D, this ends our I show. Have one flash announcement. I'm only making this announcement, Vicky, because you were in, in England, and I think this will hit home to you. Tina Turner has transitioned <gasps> really and, you and natalie oh we I went to so her show that i missed it last weekend in cleveland you and natalie saw the tina turner mus musical yes we and did. you might want to comment on that a little bit yes she's 83 years old it just came across the wire she has transitioned oh wow oh wow yes we, when we were in london we wanted to go you know we said okay let's let's experience the off-broadway thing in london because you know her her show was tina turner's show was I, I don't know if it was during covid what 2020 or right before uh -huh, covid uh -huh. and it was yeah. actually on on broadway and, and they had to they had to stop it when the covid came yes yeah. and remember she came she was in the audience when they yeah. first premiered it and stuff yeah. and she came on stage but we decided to see it in london and oh my god you know i was just going because natalie you know she said let's go we were like oh, okay let, let's just go we got in there man just the story how they presented and then the lady that was doing tina turner she had all her moves and everything and just her whole story and i didn't realize that when she came back into the scene and did private dancer and all that her, um, she was being promoted and uh, really put back out there by producers and folks in london and then they came back to the U.S. of A. And so I, that was something I learned. But at the end, when they were singing and going on and the actors came out, you know, somebody had to play Ike. He was good. So everybody <laughs> booed him. Everybody booed him. Right. Yeah. But they gave yeah. him a, a standing ovation. But her as well, the, the young lady that was singing and all that. And, and Natalie, we were like, oh, my God, because I never, you know, Natalie knows me. They, they, she'd be like, Mom, you just cold because I don't cry on nothing too much. <laughs> I was boohooing and stuff. I was like, well, shoot, that babe sang. They got yeah. me crying over here. She sang that. It was really good. And so I'm so glad that we got a chance to see it, most yeah. especially since she transitioned. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that you might want to hear that. But. In terms of today, mm -hmm. you know, what I ha would have to say about what we talked about today, number one, you know, just talking about post shingles encephalitis and how 
um, Diane, Senator Diane Feinstein really had a debilitating complication of that. And I guess the take home message also, although she did have the shingles vaccine, I don't know which one she had, but it's also a, a message to all of you out there that are over the age of 50, go get your shingles vaccination. It's now called Shingrex and it's very effective. And number two, you know, we talked about easing back um, after COVID, easing back into exercise. And basically it's just kind of, you know, take an easy check with your physicians first, and then just sort of ease back as we talk about exercise too, you're not just going to jump out of bed and go run a marathon, <laughs> but ease back into your an exercise program. And then the la the last one cardiovascular disease in older Americans, and as we get a more aging population that's going to be a problem and you know I think I would like to say at the end, just what we say on this show know your numbers. Know your Start numbers. knowing your numbers so you can attack some of these, uh, your blood pressure and your diabetes and your obesity and all of that to try to create and change your lifestyle and habits for healthy living. And then there was the physician in Ohio, and I just don't know what to say. <laughs> I just, there's no comment. Dr. Rossi was tick tocking and top ticking. I just have no, no comment. <laughs> no, no comment. Yes. And so I would say, yes, folks, here in Northeast Ohio, it is the weather is getting great. We can go out and exercise, pace Let's ourselves. Take a walk. Yes. Take a walk. Pace ourselves. Yeah. Definitely, if we have strayed, get back to healthy eating and moving because, as, as we say, with cardiovascular disease and any of the chronic diseases, a lot of it can be controlled and prevented and even reversed through. Correct our lifestyle, what we do. Right. And that's all I want to say. I will have to say too, is listen, if you want to get tummy tuck, butt lift, breast lift, whatever you want to do, isn't that, it's a red flag when somebody doing all that I mean, on social just, media. It's just, okay. It's just baffling. It's just <laughs> mind blowing. It's just absolutely mind blowing. So I, I don't know. I don't know what, she, as you said, what was she thinking? What was she thinking? So I therefore, therefore to pass, get somebody that's certified and that's going to do how they supposed to do. And okay. that, and that also speaks to the fact for, you know, try as best you can. It's very difficult sometimes, but as best you can find out information about your physicians, find out, you know, and every doctor knows their infection rate. I always tell people when they go in to see a physician, ask them, especially like knee replacements and all those, what's your infection rate? Mm. The surgeon should know his infection rate. Mm -hmm. All right. So what do you have to say to close us out? Siobhan, what are you saying? I will say to the audience, if you have older relatives, check on them. <laughs> right. I, yes. Talk to my grandmother a lot. And I actually uh, just picked her up from her eye appointment on Monday. So she is always on top of her health and making sure that we're on top of our health. So in turn, we just make sure that she's good. And I'm also always harassing my dad, making sure that he's been on top of his screening. So yeah, check on your older relatives. And just to echo what Dr. Doe was saying, we, a lot of us are in charge of our health. And so it's time to prioritize that and not be afraid of making those changes because you should think about it as, you know, longevity and just not, you know, having to be in complicated situations as you right. get older. So take care of yourself. All right. 
And as always, folks, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com. <laughs>